Welcome to the podcast Adelante Leadership. I'm proud to be your co-host, Peter Block Garcia. Welcome to Adelante Leadership. I'm your co-host, Tania Hino. Season two is a series of episodes that encourage and inspire you to embrace the power of your leadership. We are leaning into the knowledge from season one's previous incredible guests. Anita Garcia Morales is co-founder of Racing to Equity, an organization with a mission to catalyze communities, government, and other institutions to dismantle structural racial inequity and create equitable outcomes for all. She currently serves as the executive director of curriculum and instruction and co-principal consultant there. For the first 20 years of her life, Anita's experience was as a migrant farm worker, which took her across the United States, living in labor camps, doing all manner of field work, being the perpetual immigrant student in class, and sensing the otherness to which her family and ethnic group were subjected to were what shaped Anita's racial, class, and cultural lens. She lived out her dream and taught in Seattle Public Schools for 22 years. She has also led as a social studies coach and then as a racial equity strategist with the district's Department of Equity and Race Relations. You can learn more about her work at www racingtoequity.org. Anita, welcome to Adelante Leadership. Bienvenida, Anita. Un placer. Hemos trabajado en diferentes círculos y es un placer tenerte aquí porque traes tanto que enseñarnos a nuestra comunidad. Bienvenida. Thank you so much. Uh, I love the fact that I'm here. I realize that the this point in my life and still being in this work, I am one of those, uh, I've been referred to as an elder, as an abuelita, and I take both of those titles with great pleasure mm. and honor. Yes. Anita, ¿cuántos años tienes? I am going to be 75. And Anita, how did you accept your leadership? What's the story of how you accepted leadership? I think that that question about how did I accept my leadership is grounded way back a long, long time ago. Nowhere near the time where I was actually doing the work of being a teacher, of being a teacher of teachers, of mm -hmm. being a co-founder of my own company. I really believe that it started as a child. I'm the middle of 11 children and we were migrant farm workers and moved following the crops. And that was my whole childhood, um, all, all the way through graduating from high school. <clears throat> and there was a, a certain amount of independence that we each had to have because we were, each one of us were responsible for putting the food on the table. Uh, of course, my father and my mother were the leaders of our, our little family. And I think, however, I took that responsibility very seriously. I actually remember warm smiles in my heart when my mother would set those things down on, on, on the table, a steaming sartén de arroz con los frijoles and las tortillas que she made every single day. And just thinking a little smile in my heart was, I helped do that. Mm. So I think just feeling that kind of responsibility and the other piece around that was we went to school, which I always say I hated school, but I love learning. I hated school because of all the negative, all the bullying, mm -hmm. all the teasing unmercifully by children and being misunderstood and marginalized by teachers all across the country. Mm -hmm. And just having to maintain my sense of who I was and having to understand what my worth was. Fortunately, I come from 
two storytellers. My father filled us with stories of our um, Mexican heritage. And uh, he was from Mexico and he used to tell us uh, all about where he grew up. We knew all the names of the, of the rancho, the, the ejido, all of this. And we also knew that our people built pyramids. My father had never seen them, but he knew that they existed and he knew that our uh, forefathers had built them. So we heard about that greatness and, and our current hero, our heroes, like from the revolution and, and all of those. And <clears throat> I remember thinking that sometimes those people he was calling heroes, he was holding up as heroes to us, were not seen as heroes in the U.S. history that we were learning. Wow. My mother, also Mexican, but but a Texan Mexican, uh, told us her stories of growing up as a sharecropper in the South before she hooked up with my dad. And both were stories of lifting up the the um, ethic of, of really hard work. And that was, so I started working at seven and I'm 70, almost 75 and still at it. So I think then, and the reason I mentioned the school is because the two were never, our school life and our home life never came together. My parents were not those yet. Um, they did this as grandparents, but not as parents of going to schools of, we each, if I was the oldest one going to a particular school, say we just left Idaho to move to Arizona, and I would be the one to register myself and my, my little brother that would be with me. Um, and so, and, and then we didn't come home and tell what happened at school. We didn't come home and tell, yeah, you know, we had to eat our lunch like this because people were laughing at what we were eating. We didn't bring that home. So for me, that was the beginning of my independence, which then morphed into to leadership. Um, we didn't, those things, I, I, I think somewhere in the back of our minds, we thought, you know, our parents have so much other stuff to worry about. We're not going to hassle them with our day-to-day -day life. And as a teacher, I saw that over and over and over again in the places that I, I taught children. I say, hey, I want you to share with it, this with your parents. You know, if they, if something had happened um, with them that, and they say, oh, Miss Morales, no, I, I just can't. You know, my mom's so stressed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, that child was putting into words I think what what we were not so I think when you when you ask that question and I wouldn't have thought about it before uh, until right now I think because I was um, I'd been jotting some notes and just thinking about my childhood and, and then growing into that leadership I think I had really amazing mentors along the way um, mm. people who saw in me what I didn't see mm. as a very new teacher um, I, I had a principal who when she left the building she would say Anita I want you to come down to the office we'll get a sub for you I want you to come down to the office and just field calls shouldn't have anything really major going on and I would say in my inside I would say but why me you know I oh. and there there was again she put it into words later she said I I see something in you that you don't see in yourself. Oh. Uh, so I think the, the full answer is just the way I grew up. And then, um, you know, having the right mentors, always being in, in a circle. I love learning in a circle, but being in a circle with people who uh, were free in the exchange of their ideas. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was really good at saying, whoa, let me, how can I integrate that? Let me, let me borrow this. Let, mm-hmm. let me take this and putting together those puzzles that eventually morphed into what I guess we could say leadership. Uh, Peter and I have been investigating a lot the concept of decolonizing our education, decolonizing leadership. And this is exactly what you're doing because it's not just as simple as I'm going to go take a training on leadership and then I'm going to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Just like what you're going to speak to us about equity, diversity, inclusion, and social justice. It's not just you go on a training and then you're cured and then you're going to teach about it. No, leadership is exactly what you just spoke about. You're, you're racing to equity. You're racing to leadership from the beginning, from tortillas of acomedidos to all the way to now that takes us to your, your amazing work in the school districts and the development of who made Anita Garcia Morales. Yeah, I, I really do at, at I used to say I I come home and this is as you know in the in the last couple of decades and I had to really decolonize my mind because the minute you step out into majority culture mm-hmm. you are hearing you're being bombarded with all of these things that wants to continue to keep your mind thinking know your place mm-hmm. keep quiet mm-hmm. don't rock the boat don't mm-hmm. raise your hand don't raise your voice And those things, and sometimes from colleagues, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a colleague, I remember one time being around a table, um, this was down at the district level at Seattle Public Schools, and um, we were all coaches, and something that I said with great passion, he said, ooh, there's that Latina passion coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, and so that, I have to go home. Those are, that's one of those things, because at that time, it gives me, like, Oh man, did I did I overstep? And I know that that's imposter syndrome. Yes, that horrible little animal that keeps wanting to make a place and to find a home in me. Yes. And before I would let it settle in, before mm-hmm. I would, yeah, 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 I, I, I know, I'll, I'll do better next time. Now I just say, yep, you're there, and you don't have a place in me. Yeah. But that is, it, it, that's a long time coming. That 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 took a long time. I was aware of it, and I could act on it sometime, like keep it quiet. But a lot of the time, I let it, I let it rule. So knowing that it's a thing and really being able to act on it in a consistent way are really far apart. And there is still times right now with this gray hair, with the body of work that I have done, where I can still be right back there. Of course. You're reminding me that um, you were telling us about in your story how your parents' storytelling was a sense of pride that counteracted the negative things when we stepped into the dominant culture. And and it strengthened your identity as an individual young woman coming up. And the other key part that I've been thinking about a lot lately too, is the the importance of mentors. Mm -hmm. Because when I had, I was, I've been thinking about that similarly. Like when I was young, I think there was a couple really strong, influential women of color who saw things in me that I didn't see myself didn't have the language to see to say things or what I you know but looking back on it now I really appreciate them I I and I want to give them credit and gratitude mm-hmm. um, who who might be some of those others that I think along your way on along your journey toward in, of leadership uh practice are there other mentors that you want to say that you're grateful for and 
The other part of this question that you were just talking about made me think about is how can we do more of that practice to decolonize our mind, right? I think you were illustrating how you it's a constant struggle uh, because it comes at us in different ways at different times. Any other advice on decolonizing our mind from your experience? Thank you. Wonderful questions. I have a lot of mentors. My first being truly my mom and my dad. When I went off to college, um, I was I came to university and I remember coming home and just feeling really wonderful that because I would come home as often as I could go back to set home was in the Yakima Valley at that time Sunnyside and I would come and a lot of times I had my mom and my dad to myself because my siblings were you know the younger ones that were still at home were out and about and then um, the others were married and, and living on their own so I really loved that I had my mother and father to myself and I would share what I was learning I went to the University uh, of Washington in the city. 60s. So it was, it, it it tapped into all these different ways, it has made me a lifelong activist. So definitely, I like to say that everything I learned about life began in a circle or is in a circle. And, you know, the first was a circle of family. So I would definitely, I always, I walk around like with my mom on one shoulder and my dad on the other shoulder. Honestly, they have guided me in, in everything that I've done. You know, along the way, many, many mentors, there was a, a professor, last name was Summers at the University of Washington, uh, that I just guided me through my um, years there at the university. And I really felt that he understood a whole lot more than some of the Spanish professors did about who I was and valued who I was as a Mexicana in, in a much different way. I didn't feel valued by a lot of the other Hispanic professors that were either from, mostly from Spain, but also Spain and uh, South America. Didn't feel mm. valued. In fa fact, they made me feel devalued. So I remember Professor Summers very, very fondly. Going through the years, I there's so many people that I I, I hate to name them because I, I think I know I'm leaving someone out, but I'm going to name Dr. Uh, Caprice Hollins. Mentors come in all ages. Dr. Hollins is younger than I am. And then many, many people in the different bodies of work that I do, like Disciplina Post I have mentors there uh, teaching at the, you know, for the University of Washington College of Ed in a, in a teacher program. I have mentors there. Courage and Renewal, the work of Parker Palmer, I have mentors there. But I would say, and currently, one of my mentors is a young woman who's maybe about 40, in her mid-40s, I would say. And uh, she is leading this work around uh, healing from our generational trauma and just the just understanding how that happens and how just like we inherit you know our eye color and things we also inherit our um, this trauma that has gone on in, in generations that I may have known the people I may not have known but if they're in my lineage then I've got something from them and not just the color of my eyes or my skin also the trauma that they have suffered um, and, and that is Karina Hooks so I would say um, there's they continue to come and and uh, so that's a little bit about the the um, mentors there's just too new, too many to mention uh, I tend to look close uh, I was never one to hold up like uh, athletic 
superstars or people like that to my children, I would say, look around you. And that's where you find your models and your mentors look around you. So that's me too. I, they're, they're people I, I personally know. And then the other question was about decolonizing your mind. It, it's it's how do you do it? First, yeah. understanding, recognizing. Yeah. Th- I think that's the first thing, recognizing. What does that mean? How in what I do and say, am I colonized? Mm-hmm. First, understanding that. And, and so understanding that first and then being able to see examples of someone who is decolonizing making it visible and then just doing it and doing it will look differently to it depending on the situation but one of the ways it looks for me is i whenever i watch anything whether it's a tv show or a movie with my grandchildren whether I'm watching a documentary, whether I'm watching just a a movie with my hubby uh, or listening to the news, whatever it is that we are observing, we're out and about um, observing people, then being able to pinpoint those things, Mm -hmm. being able to see when someone is being made small Mm -hmm. and um, for whatever reason, and then what do they do? to do that. I remember one time being on a committee to, to review all these books. We were out at a hotel near the air uh, here in Seattle. And I brought this one book up and I said, you know, I've found several examples of this where they seem to just group people together in a way that makes, it doesn't lift their group up. It really minimizes mm-hmm. the their their um, existence. And the woman said, ah, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. You know, this is one of our really, the books that we know we're going to go with. I, I tried that then I came back again I said I really want us to think about this if I really have a voice I want us to think about yes and she said you know I'll note your displeasure and 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 your opinion and I just know that this is one of the books we're going to choose so at that time I thought okay and I was really angry but I couldn't say I was angry that was I was being my civil self right yes I was letting the imposter syndrome say Anita handle this don't make waves don't put up red flags Uh, but I thought I had done enough so but I was really really angry so I left and I walked all around this complex I did I don't think I realized okay I'm just going to walk around for a while but it was like blocks around and what that allowed me to do however was to be able to come back in it took me at least half an hour to do that walk and um, I I realized when this happens to children they cannot do that Mm. right they cannot do that so I came back and I said we have two more days here however if I if this is how my opinion, as you called it, is going to be taken or my displeasure, those are the words you used, then I'm just going to ask to be not come back. So that was action plus words, etc. There was more that went with that, however, but you know, to decolonize your mind has to be a constant thing. And you have to give yourself grace when you think, oh, dang, I did it again. I just let someone say something and I knew it wasn't right. And I didn't speak up. Being aware of it happening and not doing anything is still a step. Mm-hmm. So so, yeah, decolonizing, be, uh, understanding what it is fully, having lots of examples of being able to pinpoint them in yourself and then being able to take the steps to whatever is going to do that. I really, you know, I think I come home and I just like, it's not so bad anymore because I we're not out and about as much during this time as we were pre-COVID. And it's still a process because we still have media. And Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm not sure if I answered your question. You, know, you did beautifully. And 
you know, you you gave an example, personal example, and you spoke about this imposter syndrome that's always coming in. They have changed imposter syndrome to imposter phenomenon. And now is don't tell women that they have imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because we're constantly battling these microaggressions that you mentioned from the beginning. So you're a perfect example of how you being, you were a student, then you became a school teacher, and then you co-founded your organization, Raising for Equity. And and I really want to go into depth into so that we spend most of our time in that corner that you're talking about that you're turning a corner because not only you're a long time teacher you're a long time student because we have spoken about this before Anita that we're a long life uh, learners and students I feel like I'm not going to stop learning until I'm dead you were a student and you personally lived experience of these microaggressions on being older or with all the intersectionality that you carry as a woman as a Latina, Latine woman. And now, obviously, as a, a senior abuela, wise woman, as well, you're going to be older and dealing with imposter syndrome in the process. So tell us this amazing corner you're turning because you've been doing racial equity and your social justice forever, not only in positive discipline, as a teacher, uh, as, as, a, uh, as a speaker, as a trainer, as a mentor. You've been a constant work and you haven't stopped doing it. You're, like you said, you're decolonizing your mind and you're in a constant process of decolonizing your mind. Tell us this amazing work of healing yourself from social justice and what we carry with us because you're saying we inherit all this stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. That is like my favorite topic. One thing I do want to say about, you said that you're reading or or hearing, don't tell women they have imposter syndrome. Yes. And that is so true because of the work of Road Whistling Vivaldi. And also- Yes, I love that one. And then also the work of Malcolm Gladwell where Whistling Vivaldi talks about stereotypes Yes. And that just, just saying that puts that in your head, right? That you're, that that's what you're going to be feeling, et cetera. So I understand how so much complexity because it exists. And yet, you know, let's not think about it because then we're going to, you know, step into it or it's going to manifest itself in ourselves, in us. Anyway, that's really interesting. I love that work of the author of so Claude Steele, Whistling Vivaldi, and 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 then Malcolm Gladwell and all the work that the research he's done around. I think it a lot in the book Blink, um, mm-hmm. but other books too. And, and then um, yes, the, this corner that I'm turning, and I think the reason is that. I have, so I I think of that little girl, always I go back and I think of that little girl. I inherited my parents' storytelling. And when I was teaching, I think that I was really an effective teacher because that um, anticipation piece that you do before diving into a new unit, a new lesson, I was a master at that (laughs) storytelling. But um, I remember that little girl always. And I began very early in my career, I would say maybe third grade, I began making a mental list of what I was going to do in my classroom when when I had a classroom. And they were all the things that were missing for my siblings and myself. And I actually remember 
thinking I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Always this mental list that kept growing. So I think, I think of that little girl and I think of my little siblings because I was the middle of, a, of 11 children. So I had all these little brothers suffering the same thing I was suffering. I was an introvert. I know how I internalized it. You know, I couldn't see how they were. It just hurt me so much. So that little girl, my little siblings, I have their, their pictures in my head from their, their school pictures is who I'm still right now as I'm, I said, turning a corner but I really, it, it's kind of like I'm coming full circle, um, full yes. circle instead. I'm, I'm going around the arc of the, of the circle and to this piece of healing and liberation. Uh, when I think of, so my husband and I went on this amazing 36 day trip across the country. We've done that before. This one was, was just the two of us for the most, most of it. And just really awesome. And, and with new eyes, right. With whatever learning I've had. And then I saw all these different things that I've experience, woman of color crossing the country and in some places you received in different ways, being that instead of like whatever store in New Hampshire where they really kept an eye in the, the one woman in this big, beautiful store of crafts, really high-end stuff. She kept looking, it, she always seemed to be in the same vicinity as we were, as my husband and I, we, and, and so we were, we were testing her <laughs> and uh, we do a lot of, you know, social experiments like that. So we were doing that and it wasn't me there, you you know, I, I felt, yes, it was me, but I was thinking of my mother mm. in a Penny's or in a Sears in Salem or in Woodburn or in Phoenix or wherever we were being watched as she gathered things to put on layaway. Back then there was layaway for us. And so that's who I'm feeling. You know, mm. that's the value of having mom and dad riding with me all the time. But that's who was experiencing. It was Anita, yes, definitely experiencing that in New Hampshire. But it was also me living living the experience of my mother. Yeah. And so that there's so much um, that it, in my life that to be able to move from point A to point B that I have had to tamp down, that I've had to say, Anita, yeah, you want to look at that, but not right now because you got to move. Mm -hmm. And so we go through and all of these things because living in a labor camp, anytime you put people in any kind of a crowded situation mm -hmm. and there are people who are poverty level and below just working for survival, put food on the table. There's going to be ugliness, uh, you know, things that happen right in those camps beyond the poverty and beyond the, you know, the water's not safe to drink and all this stuff. So, you know, that's unfortunately part of humanity. I didn't want to think about any of those things. I just wanted to think about, you know, here's Anita working hard for her family. All of us go out in the field in the morning together. Um, and so the other stuff I was tamping down, um, all those images of my mom being marginalized, being a suspect of my dad being who I thought is my Superman being shrunk, like almost mm -hmm. within my vision, mm -hmm. uh, just watching before the los patrones. And so those are the kinds of things, not choosing not to go to uh, grad, grad school because of the way that I was accepted. I had all the paperwork, this amazing professor Summers that I talked about before had helped me put all my paperwork in order, all the letters of recommendation, my transcript, etc., which was all solid. And and, and then when I received my packet back, they said, it, unopened, completely unopened, they said, we're going to let you in and once in, you can prove yourself. Well, to a kid from the 60s, I thought, hmm, what do you think I've been doing all this time? So that idealistic child of the 60s um, said, no, thank you. And do I regret it? I regret not having my master's. 
Uh, do I regret standing up for myself in that way? No, not, not one bit. Yeah, I do regret not having a master's, however. But it's all those pieces, parts in my life. When that happened to me, that was just not me. It was, I remember my dad telling us a story about uh, why we left Ohio. That's where I was born to begin with. And, and part of the story was that he worked for these three men um, that had a lot of different ranches. And um, one of them had a son who went off to college, agricultural college, and came back with all these new ideas. And my dad who'd been working in the field and knew about grafting and all of this, you know, now had to change what he had been doing and doing successfully because the son had different ideas from agricultural college. And so again, there it is, you know, my dad's, it, so it was kind of like similar to, to me. So when things like that happen for me, I'm tamping down these other things. I'm not understanding at the moment why I'm so angry or why I feel the way I feel. And that's the piece that has been unexplored. And that's the piece I'm exploring. What is it? It's not just this. Let's dig a little bit deeper. And what other, what else is, is in, 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 in the roots of this particular way you're feeling. And that is tapping into my uh, generational trauma, the historical trauma, and being able to uncover those, um, all of those places. And it is really difficult. It is difficult to, to, to feel it, how wonderful, just let me just rest on, you know, 35 years with Seattle School District, um, you know, awards of all kinds for my teaching, uh, nine years teaching teachers, three or four um, years doing um, the same work at different universities or teaching uh, teacher programs, uh, starting my own business, having a successful marriage of 49 years, you know, having two children who are extremely successful as are my, my other ch two children, their wives, you know, I could just say, okay, done it, been there. You know, we all stepped out of the field in one generation. Um, I could just rest on my laurels, but it isn't enough because Anita's not done yet. And the yes. this, this, as I'm making my move around this circle, I'm coming to see, oh, dang, Chiquilla, you know, this is what you need to look and study. And, and, and you need to understand this piece and, and you need to follow it as much as it's going to hurt. You need to follow it to its root um, and find. And so that's the corner, this healing. And we call it healing and liberation. Yeah, it is absolutely liberating. I can still love my the beginning of my life as much as I do now with all the other uh, looking at all the other pieces my mother and my father are still whole even when i look at all the the ways that they uh, that 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 they fell into not making waves that they fell into um, because i understand uh, I have a lot more understanding about the whys they did that. So, um, and and I can love myself even more uh, uh, when I understand why I did some of the things that I did that I look back and I think, oh, yeah, Anita, how could you? Um, so that's that, you know, and here it is, you know, 50, 60 years later. Anita, you just sum up. Thank you for correcting yourself on turning a corner because that means that we're in a square <laughs> where people want to put us in a box. That's a colonized mind. And that's exactly what it is. We are a circle, right? We, where our people come from, is turning around, going around the sun, seeing the sun as our 
source of energy, seeing the universe as a source of energy. Now that we're specific, learning from your wisdom is so important because that's it. That's exactly it. It's our colonized mind that we have to continue producing and making and doing and being a certain way to call it success, to call it that we made it, right? When, when you reach it, you know that that's not it because what happens is that our people and even the person that's been with the trauma of a colonizer has to be still for a minute and see. And because what happens is that by doing things and constantly doing things or by being cash potato or by, you know, just going to fiestas or, you know, keeping us busy with the entertainment now with social media and the phone and the TikTok and the this and the, all that stuff is keeping us busy mm-hmm. so that we don't think of the pain that we're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pain that we're trying to avoid, that trauma. Because I just had a conversation with you, Anita, uh, on Friday about, I have read James Baldwin's books. I have read... Hook's books. I have read all these amazing authors, but I read them as a as with a colonized mind and with let's get these things done because I need to get this done because if I get this career, I get to come out of this misery. But guess what? We're not out of the misery. We continue on because we're not looking at and also I didn't have time to just lick my wounds. Like the, exactly your example that you gave us when they, they invite us to the circles mm-hmm. or these tables. For us, the circles, for them, is tables. They invite us to the table of decision-making, and but they don't, don't really want our opinion. Mm-hmm. They just want us to say, yes, there was a Latino here and she mm-hmm. agreed mm-hmm. with me on the list. <laughs> right? Yes, check. Yeah. But they don't really want to hear. Wait a second. This book is really bad for our people. This book is not good for our people. They're not raising or centering our Latinx community. They're like, oh, you need to stop that. You need to learn your place. So that's exactly what you're doing. Staying still and noticing all the trauma that you were putting, that you couldn't stay still to, to, to actually know that it was wrong. One, two, that you've been, that you've been having microaggressions and direct, intense, big aggressions discriminated, uh, put down, all these things, you couldn't still still and look at them because you had a, a goal in mind to get to so that our people and, and your own people get ahead. And now you're looking at the trauma that we all carry. That is inspiring, Anita, really. And, you know, Anita, what you were just, you were describing, that healing, what I'm, one of the sort of moments I'm having is going, Oh my God. Okay. Healing is an act of decolonization. Yes. Healing ourselves does lead to us. Exactly. I love Anita, how you pair healing with liberation. Yes. Because I feel like Tanya and I have talked about these things in in the work that we've done over the years in community together. And, um, and it, it, I think the timing of this conversation is just really touching my heart mm. um, because it's it's sort of putting the pieces together for me <laughs> as well about my own journey and, and things. But I feel like I've struggled with trying to encourage more of our Latinx community to see the importance of healing. Now I'm going to start using the terms of why, explaining you know the importance of healing with liberation, because it does. When you do it, when you do take healing steps, 
you physically feel lighter, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Right. That freedom is just, it's like uplifting uh, and, and the decolonizing, you know, it's, it's a step in those directions, but sometimes I feel like only use the word healing in community. It doesn't seem as important. And I think Tanya, partly yours, what you were saying there uh, a minute ago is you, your story illustrated what we what's going on in our minds as to why we sometimes go, oh yeah, healing's important, but I got to get things done, right? <laughs> and so we put it on the back burner. Anyway, all of that is just to ask both of you a question. How can we encourage more of our Latin community to take steps towards healing and towards the liberation? And Peter, before we go there, Anita, I want to show you new, you know, that when you were sharing that story of finding yourself and the importance of healing and the trauma that you have dealt with all your life and intergenerational trauma that your family has dealt with, my heart was like pounding because you were speaking to something that is so true that is real in my life. Mm-hmm. So that's incredible i think that's incredible but what peter was just bringing in what do you do what are the two things that you do i know that you're doing tons of things but two things that you do to start healing your own trauma besides taking trainings and talking about it like you do i i'm part of a a small group and this is what we talk about um there's no holds barred there's no like um so it's having a trusting a community where you feel that where you where you feel that there's that trust you you have that relationship that there's because what you're letting you're actually doing is letting your soul come out to play and your soul is not going to come out to play if there's danger that's how we keep Mm. things locked up because um you know we have to stay strong you know for for us the the motto among all of us kids was don't let them see you cry mm. you know no matter what don't let them see you cry uh, and that was in school the teasing the teacher you don't let them see you cry and, and so we're used to that we're used to guarding our our most inner self you know a lot of times people use norms like and one of the norms in in there is uh creating a safe space and i take issue with that because there is not a safe space other than my home that's my one safe space and that's if i have the blinds drawn no media on and I'm just sitting there because the minute anything else happens, then, you know, that stuff is coming at you, right? We have, we receive 11 billion bytes of information every single second. We can process only 43 of those and we can really deal emotionally, not, I hate the word deal. We can really experience emotionally only about three to four of those. That's from the work of John Powell um, Uh and his organization. And so I I think of that all the time. So what happens with the rest of those 11 uh, million, not billion, 11 million bytes of information? They don't just run out. They make their home in you. And that is where that is how we are colonized on a daily basis, every single second. So, you know, finding a trusting community, finding your your the practices that work for you. For me, I'm a journal, Um, I journal writing and I journal in my mind constantly. Uh, and for me, it's, it's 
introducing practices. And all of these can be buzzwords, like healing and liberation can be buzzwords. Imposter syndrome can be buzzwords or in our buzzwords, um, you know, meditating, reflecting, all of these, it, they have to be real for you. So for me, journaling has always been something that that I've always, always done. And, and um, it's, but those are actual things that I, I do. And I don't watch anything without questioning or and, and noticing. And, and I, and I feel good when I notice something that maybe the people around me didn't notice because I think, okay, I, I need to do this consistently. And I don't mean good in a like, oh, look at me, but just, okay, this is becoming a common practice for me. So being, being consistent about it. And, and, and most of all, knowing that you can't stop the, the minute that you do stop, then you're very quickly right back where you started. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's the piece, you know, one of the things, um, this goes back to what we were talking about before, Resma Menachem, who wrote um, In My Grandmother's Hands, he talks about, we often um, tell a story, like I might might say, oh yeah, you know, when we were working in independence and, oh, I remember we used to go um, and on Saturday afternoon and, and go to be paid and they'd have these tables and I said, oh, and I remember something horrible. But then I begin, continue with the story mm -hmm. and he will say, no, you need to stop and you need to go back. What is that? You went like this. Oh, that was, I remember something horrible. What is that that mm -hmm. happened? And, and, and explore that. And because that's part of that healing, Peter, that's part of that, um, you know, and, and I used to gloss over that part of the story all the time. And when I finally talked about it and, and actually wrote about it first, when I was um, doing a courage renewal piece, it, it, it made me cry. Yeah. It made me cry at that time. But then, you know, tears are also liberating healing. and healing and, um, and, and a sign of strength Yeah, uh, because you're recognizing at that time, recognizing that you're hurting. And that is a sign of strength. A lot of times we, I remember my dad say it's a, it's a stupid man who doesn't ask for help when he needs help. Uh, a stupid man who doesn't, you know, know when to be afraid. And of course in Spanish, it sounded much better, but I, <laughs> you know, I love those things because they're, they're so true. Um, it takes me a long time, right. To, to come around. Um, but, you know, as, as I go through this circle, one of the, I'm really proud of the work of Racing to Equity, R2E, as we call it, really proud. We started it in 2017 and it is just blossomed. There's so much, we have so much work and done, have done a lot of wonderful work, but not of the recent and myself, and we have a lot of associates. Um, so I'm really proud of that body of work. Uh, I'm, I'm also really full of positive anxiety and just wonder at what life ahead in this healing and liberation work. So one of the other pieces that I'm uh, involved in right now is part of a, this amazing planning team for a raw treat because raw is sun. And you were saying it, you know, in, in our culture, it's who we, it's who gives us life and, and it's part of the cycle of life. And so we call it a raw treat um, because mm -hmm. in the African, uh, not legends, but in the African history, also the God Ra is, mm -hmm. is serves oh, yeah. the same purpose, but having this where it's going to be healing and liberation and uh, a sharing our generational trauma, um, you know, letting go of some things that we've been holding so, so tight because a community that we're going to, to create, co-create and co-maintain for the, the length of this um, four day, five, five day, four night retreat is is going to be so powerful. Yeah. Um, 
that that circle will be able to hold this. So that's the, you know, that's where I'm, I'm moving next. Anita, I, I know, and this is the thing, right? That we're supposed to like, oh, we're supposed to end at a certain time. I don't want to end our conversation because it's incredible and there's so much to learn from you. I can see it's, there's so much passion to this work that you're you're exploring in the healing and liberation that um, I feel like we just need to talk, talk to you more about this new path you're taking because I love my grandma's hands. It's just a beautiful book. It's an incre- incredible piece of work. And, you know, I had so much resistance and I know that all of you have read or heard uh, Brene Brown's work and I had so much resistance on her work on being vulnerable I know the importance of being vulnerable but that's not a luxury we can have as easy as our white counterpart it's not as easy it's hard for men as well don't get me wrong because they being taught that they can be vulnerable they shouldn't be vulnerable because that's how they conquer you can be vulnerable and conquer somebody right and race to the top of the hill if you're vulnerable I'm glad that Brene Brown is looking at people's and different racial groups pain because that's exactly it like you say it's liberation it's healing and healing is power like uh, mm. Peter was saying that the the healing and being vulnerable is decolonizing mm. our minds and and one of the things I wanted to ask you before we and I we're bringing you back Peter mentioned what would be one thing you recommend our people our Latinx community to start healing trauma like centering trauma because it's not pretty dealing with trauma is not pretty and that's the problem right Right? When you're colonized, these these groups, these uh, meetings, supposed to be all clean and serious, and no conflict should be there. There should be no crying. There should be no this. There should be no that. No anger, obviously, no anger. So, how do you hold healing trauma when our meetings are so colonized? What we have done both in in racing to equity and the work that I do, whether it's courage or renewal, whether it's positive discipline, disciplina positiva, whether it's any of the work that I do, and I have all these little pockets of work before anything is you, I need to have a relationship. People need to know that they, that they can trust me. So that's the first thing you've gone to workshops where you sit and you think, Hmm, and you'll take the notes and you'll, but you, you, you don't feel invested because there's not been like, I don't think that person sees me. I don't think that person understands me. And, and so you, you leave the workshop and you put that little folder or binder up and that's it. But it's, it has, to happen there. So I am so fortunate in working with, um, I have a group of Latina women that I've been working with. My dream is to, is to have series of retreats for, uh, Latina women who are, um, immigrant women. And so in, in the Disciplina Positiva work that I do, it, it, that will only do it when I can offer it for free. And then I leave it up to the organization to ask for something of the participants, because in this country, when you give something away, it doesn't have value. So I want to give it for free. I want the organization that is bringing me in to ask something of their of their folks. But this group of women that I've now had for we've been working together for year for years. The the first thing was creating that trust, and they're all Latina women. They're all immigrant women, young women. I mean, the young parents and men, I mean, but that building that relationship first is is so important. Having them understand in whatever way, and, and I understand not everybody has lived the life I've, I've I've lived where I've been dirt poor, literally, and then so I'm. 
I, I've been, my, my mom was sitting where they were sitting and I can see them. So when I see them, I see my mom and just, just building that relationship. So they feel seen and they feel heard and they feel felt um, that has to be the, the first thing. So when I teach, for instance, Disciplina Positiva, which is how this group started out, um, I teach, they get the content, but they also get this amazing, they get to build their bridge, the cultural bridge between what the life that they're living and the place where, or the culture that they come from and the place where they're living and where their children are growing up, which is really different. And so, and, and for them to, I, I love and believe in, in, in Disciplina Positiva, but for them to get this piece that I love and believe, I have to help them build that cultural bridge so that they can then understand it. But that's part of building that relationship. That's part of them being truthful with themselves um, and, and really feeling seen and heard. I always ask, what is your ethnicity? Where are, you know, and and, and so it, it's so awesome to hear, oh, Honduras, you know, soy de Honduras, oh, Guatemalteca, ah, yo también, you know, and, and that's part of that. That's not part of positive discipline, right? But that's part of what I do. So I think when you ask, what do we do? It's that it's tapping into where they're at. I did um, use the work of uh, Resma um, up in Monroe, where I volunteer with, uh, well, right now during COVID, we have not, but we actually formed a nonprofit to be able to work with the men, uh, Latino men in, um, in Monroe and did that. And again, how do I tap into this healing and liberation for them is I ask them, you know, some of these questions that Resuma asks at the end of each chapter. And, you know, one of the men said, I never thought I'd see a room of 30, 40 Latino men here where we're supposed to be strong and macho men, especially in prison, right? To be able to, and, you know, crying and sharing their stories with one another, but it's beautiful. But again, that only came from building a relationship Mm -hmm. from having them not having them see you or you see yourself as up here and them here, but you see them here. I says, you could be my brothers. Yeah. You could be my sons. Wow. You could be my, my mother, my, you know, my father, you, you, you are us and we are you, you know? And so, but they, you can say it, but they also have to believe. It. Exactly. And so, you know, I think that that's it. And then just hopefully, you know, that's, and with this one group of, of women, it has been just a marvelous journey. Some of these women, and not because of me, but it's having them see their leadership. A lot of them don't see that they are leaders. Yeah. A lot of them don't see that they have these qualities and of that course. The, the, the universe is dying for. Mm-hmm. But I say, we have a lot of gifts to offer this mm-hmm. society. Our, uh, nuestras culturas tenemos muchos regalos mm-hmm. que les puede servir a, a, aquí muy bien. Not everything that they do is right. The way they yeah, run the exactly. Meeting, not right. You know, to, so anyway, um, that's... Uh, well, that's, that's one of your powers, uh, Anita, noticing their leadership qualities because we've been brainwashed for so long. Mm-hmm. We've been brainwashed yeah. for so long. And again, when you're dealing with, um, a, you know, Latin people, sometimes, um, s- sometimes they want to, they don't want to hear you yeah. because they're new to this country and they exactly. still see 
they're still seeing it with stars in their eyes. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and they, because that's the stuff that they've heard. I mean, yeah. I my dad would, would say, they said the hardest work you're going to be doing when you move to uh, El Norte is bending down and picking the money. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I just really value that my dad could see all of the wonderful things that this country had to offer him and, and not, and not see it through rose colored glasses. He saw the racism. He saw the, you know, he, he might not have had the words, but he saw the the elitism. He saw all of that. Um, yep. And, and it was very clear in, in, to him. Um, and he knew, you know, some, not all of the time, but a lot of the time he knew when he was falling into it. So, but for a lot of people, they don't move out of that quickly enough. They say, oh no, you know, this is where we're going to find our, you know, the gold in, in, in all of that. So they oh, don't yeah. want to hear uh, that this country, the rest of the things that this country gives. Well, they want to they wanna continue progressing their families and they have a goal in mind and to advance their family or, como dicen, mejorar la raza. I asked them the question, okay, you're doing all of this to mejorar your family and then you're going to lose your children. Exactly. Is that, is, is that a, you know, a trade you're willing to make because that's what you're doing. Y como soy abuelita, I can get away with stuff like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Exactamente. Yeah. Ese es uno de los privilegios. Qué bueno, Anita. Úsalo, úsalo. Yeah. And Anita, just to uh, close out, what's one or two books that you would recommend for people interested to explore healing and liberation? I, I would say Resma. Resma. Yeah, claro. And um, definitely in looking at those exercises um, that he does, I'm, I'm part of different, th there's a lot of books, you know, all the new ones out like um, Bettina Love's book mm -hmm. um, and um, Goldie Muhammad's book, um, both of those. And of course, Ibrahim Kendi's book. Um, yeah. And then there's a lot of our, um, uh, a lot of podcasts. I, I couldn't name them, but there's so much. And I'm constantly looking for things to sign up for, um, you know, that are, that are going to continue to have me peeling back, um, you know, all the layers that, that I've, you know, I, I kind of say that all these things are inside of me are covered with the powder of, of white supremacy. Yeah. And I have to, you know, shake off that white powder so that I can get to them. And there's a lot of these, like just, listening to podcasts um and and really dedicating time to to reflecting on this and and doing it whatever way is possible uh for is best for you in terms of you know whether it's journaling whether it's meditating i there's um some groups that that do meditations just for bipoc folks oh yes and, and um i love having those because they have a different feel again yeah um, and maybe it's just because they're done by bipoc i don't know maybe the the process is the same but that's another thing that I do with some of these groups that is very foreign to them right with the Latino group um, is take them through some of those pieces and then they the scariness the woo-woo-ness of them goes away and they're able to Oh, you know, this, this, the actual work. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have a lot of, uh, books. Um, she reads a lot as you can tell uh, and, and listen to a lot. So, yeah. but, but I would say for, you know, um, for the work that I'm doing right now and the one that you suggested about the children, I have that one too. Um, because it has to start with the kids. We have to yeah. 
begin. I, I want, I see my own um, grandchildren who are now, I'm first, my children are second. So my grandchildren are third generation born here. And so I see them um, and, and thankfully um, their parents, uh, the village that they're growing up in is having them see their worth, having them understand, um, you know, who they are ethnically, culturally, linguistically. Yeah. So that, you know, at a very early age. So that is part. And, and that's the other piece that people have to do is, and that's the hard piece, because as yeah. you said, people want to be successful and they equate yeah. success with assimilating. Yep. And, um, that's, that's success in the near and it's death yep. in long range. The, Ameri the American dream, the American dream, which um, is you know, is not the same as the dream for us. Even, nope, exactly. Yeah. It, it, and that's one of the things we have to uh, reevaluate constantly if we want to decolonize our mind and we're not, don't want to die slowly in the process of gaining that American dream is what is, what is living? And, and it's so important to reevaluate your life in the process and not just keep working without thinking and evaluating and healing all this trauma that we carry. Mention one more book and that's uh, one more author and that's Erasmo Gamboa. He He's our own Northwest. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, historian and and of all things Mexican and just amazing. And he's and he's moving towards um, narrative writing. Oh, nice. Which is going to say looking at in in terms of authors looking at all the Latin. Yeah. Latina authors that there are because even if you know I love the novels because you can there's wisdom to be gained there it mm -hmm. it, it might not be like historical facts and it is um an understanding uh, you know our trauma um you know from someone else's perspective and then yeah. be able to say oh that's not just from someone else's but that's me too and again those authors are too numerous to mention storytelling is liberating mm -hmm. because telling our story powerful and changing yeah. the narrative of what story is power to our people. For yeah. sure. So, yeah. Muchas gracias, Anita, por todo, todo tu uh, sabiduría, eh, tu increíble eh, proceso de, de investigación, estudio de ti misma. I, I will forever be grateful on all the work that you do uh, from positive discipline to social justice to, to seeing our people and changing the narrative and your storytelling. That's incredible. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Wonderful to meet you. Peter, um, I hope our paths cross again. I know our paths will cross again. Yes. <laughs> uh, hasta luego. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode of Anita Garcia Morales. And I hope you find ways to heal your intergenerational trauma. We hope you find some way to heal the trauma as part of decolonizing your mind. We invite you to heal your trauma. Our next episode is going to be in Spanish with an amazing musician, Horacio Franco. He's a Mexican flautist and recorder player. He studied at the National Conservatory in Mexico City and later in Amsterdam. Franco has performed many different kind of music including Latin American colonial music to a contemporary folklore and popular styles. Thanks to Horacio Franco our introduction to our episodes in season 2 is Horacio Franco's music. Los esperamos a escuchar a Horacio Franco en el siguiente episodio. Hasta la próxima.
We welcome your comments on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Apple. For more resources and information, visit our website, www.adelanteleadership.com. We want to hear your thoughts, ideas, and your Latinx leadership story. Muchas gracias por escuchar a Adelante Leadership. Thank you for tuning in and stepping into your Latinx leadership.